Good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, I am Danny Bristow, and uh, I have the pleasure of serving with my pastor, Michael Kreiner, as your associate pastor. Uh, somebody said, why are you preaching and not Michael? This is his version of Take Your Kid to Work Sunday. <laughs> Only this is Take Your Old Dude to Work, you know. <clears throat> you know, you take your kid to work. He gets to be the mayor, the policeman, or whoever. Uh, just kidding. Uh, the battles that, that we face, I thought I did a pretty good job in the early church this morning. Between services, Josh comes and said, I got to check your battery. What he meant to say was he took the battery out where you couldn't hear me. And I thought I did a good job. I said, look, dude, put the battery back in. And uh, uh, so, sorry, you got to hear me. Uh, we do have cameras. Uh, you missed your chance while the lights were out to leave. If you leave now, we're going to know who you are. I'm going to call you. So, I'm, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I get to teach twice a week at Rock Hill, so roughly 100 times a year. I get to preach twice a year. If you don't know it, teaching and preaching are two different animals. Y'all don't know that because you're not a preacher. So, you know, uh, some of you. Uh, so, with that said... This is me trying to get four-wheel drive going here. <laughs> uh, get ready to preach. Uh, get ready to go. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. Great verse of scripture here. And I want to talk to you, as Ed said, a little bit about grace. The definition of grace, the free, unmerited favor of God as manifested in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessings, two operations of grace, bringing salvation, bestowing blessings, according uh, to, to, the, to about a half a dozen dictionaries uh, that I looked in. Uh, for us, we use the word grace routinely. The two most used words probably in the Christian language and the two most misused words in the Christian language are grace and faith. He said, Brother Danny, we know we're saved by grace and we live by faith. Very few of us walk by faith like Abraham did. God said, Abraham, come follow me. Abraham didn't say, Lord, what are we going to do for gas? Lord, is there a McDonald's on the way? God said, come follow me. Abraham followed him and walked not knowing whether he was going. And he died never having reached the destination. So we talk about faith, but I think sometimes we don't exercise our faith. We talk about grace, but we want to stop with the grace that Paul talks about in Ephesians 2 where it says, for by grace are you saved through faith. But in Titus chapter 11 through 14, chapter 2, verse 11 through 14, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. Don't you love how he slipped that right in there? For everybody, all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us 
for all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous of good works. As I said in the beginning, I think grace is in two forms. I think there's saving grace and I think there's living grace. Living grace manifests in two ways. Living grace is that God gives us grace so that we can walk every day. But living grace is also how we walk and portray Christ in our lives each day. Saving grace, Paul talked about it in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing, it is the gift of God. God created us, God designed us, God formed us. And we walk away from him. We ignore him. I lived in a preacher's home for 16 years. My dad started pre preaching, got saved, started preaching when I was two years old. It was not until I was 18 years old that I accepted Christ as my Savior. You say, why not? I didn't need it. I was a preacher's kid. Went to church 17 times a week, turned the lights on, unlocked the doors, turned the lights off and locked the door. What do I need with salvation? Until one day the grace of God came calling. And I understood what it meant. In his infinite love, he extended his unmerited favor to us who were sinners. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We can't even do enough to keep it. He gives it freely and abundantly. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 6 Here's the recipe for grace. Uh, I'm a cook. I like to cook. Uh, most things that I cook, I don't use a recipe. I just put it together and pray that God, I have two prayers when I cook for y'all, just so y'all understand this. I pray that it's edible, and I pray that it doesn't kill anybody. <laughs> and so far, God has answered those prayers abundantly. Um, here's the recipe. But when I cook pies, I use a recipe. When I cook cobblers, I use a recipe. When I cook cake, I use a recipe. God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he had, which he, with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You say, Brother Danny, what is grace? What is saving grace? Saving grace is when you take all the mercy of God, his warning to extend his grace. His warning to uh, overlook our shortness and our failures in our life. His warning to overlook the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The mercy of God, and you wrap that and mix that with his great love that he expressed on the cross of Calvary when he allowed his darling son Jesus to die for my sin and for your sin. We should have been there. We should have paid the price for our sin. You take his great mercy, I'm reading Paul's words, and you take his great love and you mix them together and you get his grace. The grace of God extended for salvation. If you're here today and don't know the Lord and you don't have a clue what I'm talking about, the grace of God is God's love and mercy extended to you that you could spend eternity in a place we call heaven. Living grace. We should live every day by and in the grace of God. 
Paul Peter said that, that spiritual growth doesn't happen overnight. We must grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord. Grace should transform our desires. Grace should transform our motivations. Grace should transform our behaviors in this world. As we walk in grace, uh, I know that some of y'all have known me for a long time, and I'm the sweet, and the older I get, I'm the sweet older guy. One of our teenagers called me an old man this week. I said, look, sister, I can still take you out. Uh, you know, uh, uh, call me an old man. Uh, you know, uh, but the, the older we get, you know, the grace of God, uh, our behavior, our motivation. Uh, when I went to, to, to school in the first through the sixth grade, fifth grade, I was the biggest kid in class. You say, no, you weren't. Oh, I was. Murray Avendroff, he's about an inch shorter than me now. Steve Tackett, he grew up, he went ahead and grew on up to be over six feet tall. The three of us were the biggest kids in LaPorner Elementary School. We ruled and reigned with an iron fist. Guess what? I like to fight. I'd fight. You just look at me crossways. We'd fight, buddy. In the sixth grade, I was the little, I left the fifth grade being the biggest kid, came back in the sixth grade as the littlest kid. It took about two fights to think, hmm, my philosophy of life needs to change. My parents moved me from Gatesville, Texas, a little 2A school where I knew everybody and everybody knew me and everybody knew my dad. And everybody knew, I mean, everybody knew everybody. To Dallas, Texas, Thomas Jefferson Rust Junior High on Inwood Road right under Lovefield Airport. You would be in class and the teacher would be talking and all of a sudden she'd go to the, to the mime. It'd be like, because the airplane's taking off, the jet airplane, the, the, so close to the school, you couldn't, and so the teacher would just stop. It was great. You only had to hear, hear the teacher talk for half the class because the rest of the time she had to wait for the airplanes to go by. 90%, 98% underprivileged children and people in that school. 2%, and I'm not being racial, but 2% were white boys like me. You say, what'd you do? I became a lover. And I made friends with the biggest Hispanic boy I bought, and the biggest African American. They were my best buddies. They walked me to class. I bought them snacks. My mother would watch the news the night before to see if there was going to be a riot at our school. We had 21, we went there in, in uh, uh, the middle of February. We had 21 incidences from February to the end of school concerning knives, guns, and gang activity. And my mother said to my dad, my children will not go back to these schools next year. He believed her, and we didn't, and uh, we, we, we moved, uh, you know. But God's grace should change our behavior. God's grace is what grounds us. God's grace is what empowers us. God's grace should be everything in our Christian life. We should present to the world the love and the grace of God. Uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians that grace, the grace of God, is our identity, our Christian identity. By the grace of God, I am who I am. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, 
He said, we behave in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity. Does that mean you've got to be an old sourpuss? No. What that means is the words people say, what, what, is, what is the world, why do we have to be simple in the world? That doesn't mean simple in the way you're talking, that you're thinking. The word simplicity there implies and means that we're to have no agenda. That we're to be, this is what you get. God lives in me. God works through me. The grace of God goes through me. I'm a conduit for the grace and love of God and the grace of God to you with no agenda. I get nothing out of this. We present God's grace to the world simply and in sincerity. Our holiness comes from God's grace. 2 Timothy 1 verse 9, God called us to a holy calling because of his purpose and his grace. Our strength, he told young Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Our way of speaking, let your speech always be gracious. That sounds good, doesn't it? Let your speech be gracious. I used to love to go to church with my grandfather and, and grandmother. They went to a little country church over in the New York community. And they had, and I'm not making fun, but because I loved it and I still love it. They had these old men that would pray. And the preacher or the song leader would say, Brother so-and-so, would you lead us in prayer? And boy, I, as a kid, I was waiting for it. Because they would stand, they would gather themselves. And then in this deep voice, they'd say, Father, God, we thank you. And it was this slow, methodical, heartfelt prayer that was offered our speech should be gracious that's hard in our world you say what do you mean have you driven in South Tyler lately <laughs> I was driving and, and I'm not an aggressive driver at all I was a fireman too long saw too many wrecks pulled too many people out of cars I'm a laid back my wife is very impatient I know when I'm driving too slow because I, I hear the, 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 the fingers and the, and, the, and the leg kicking and the vibrating of the seat. And I'm like, what? She, you're driving 10 miles under the speed limit. I was driving in South Tyler on the loop, 5 o'clock traffic, bumper to bumper. This guy cuts me off. I mean, my license plate is stuck to the back of his truck. And then he changes back, and I thought, well, you're an idiot. But I didn't say it. I just thought it. But he slowed down. Until we were side by side. And he looks over at me with this ugly face and he says something and he flips me off. I'm like, dude, I didn't do anything. And then he, whoa, he takes off. Our speech should always be gracious. First Peter, he said, serving one another as good stewards of God's Varied grace. You say, why do you use that word varied in there? Cover all the bases. Y'all ate Thanksgiving lunch this week, didn't you? How many of y'all ate everything put on the table? I couldn't. Will, I, knew, I got no doubt, brother. <laughs> because my wife cooked a full five-course meal. And then my daughters came, and only one of them got to come because the other than they have COVID, uh, their son does, he's fine, but they couldn't come out and, and, and mingle with us. And, you know, 
there's like 17 different kinds of food. So I ate some for lunch and some for supper and some the next day. Because nobody can. Varied grace covers all the bases. The grace of God should motivate us to be part of his mission. Ed talked about giving. David Braun, you talked to him for 30 minutes, or Jim Hughes, you're going to talk about going and missions. Uh, the Lord said to his disciples, to his apostles, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Going takes the grace of God. You say, why? Because kids get in the way, wives and husbands get in the way, church activities get in the way, school activities get in the way. All the things that the world, and, and that they throw at us, good and bad, they get in the way of doing what God left us here to spread His grace and His love in this world. And you say, well, what does grace do for me other than salvation? That's kind of one of those weird questions. Why would you ask that? Salvation's enough. We receive forgiveness according to the riches of God's grace. Grace gives us strength. Grace gives us wisdom. Grace gives us courage. I want you to look at Titus chapter 2 and verse 12. We, did, oh, we already read it, but I want you to pick up the one word there that you don't, you don't think of as being part of grace. Training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. Grace is not like a nanny that you hire, like rich people hire to raise their kids, and they raise their kids till they're 16 years old, and then they send them to boarding school, and, and the nanny leaves. Grace brings salvation but then stays as the instructor and the trainer. And when, when I read this a couple of weeks ago as I began to prepare this message, I'm sorry, and I, and I apologize especially to Jenny. Jenny, forgive me. Jenny's the dog lady of the church. She loves dogs. <clears throat> I'm told, I'm just told, that some people train their dogs with shock collars. Some people go as far as to bury wire around their yard and put these collars on these dogs and they lead them out there and the dog is like, you know. They tell me when you get, uh, I had a fireman friend one time that put one on and, and, and show how stupid he was. He put a shock collar on and then gave his wife the control button. <coughs> Wasn't pretty, <coughs> so they tell me. But you get this dog close to this wire and it gives him a little feel-good tingle. And he's like, ooh, that feels good. But as he crosses that wire, it like turns him upside down. They're like, oh, dogs are smart. My daughter, Jiffy, has a dog, one of those golden doodle. I love the dog, dumber than a rock. <laughs> I, I, he's known me since he was a puppy. And every time I go to their house, he threatens to gnaw my leg off until he gets, oh, I know you. You know, I'm like, dude, are you blind? You see me every week. But this dumb dog, he will tackle, because he's as big as they are, he will tackle the children. And I mean, the licking is up and down. I mean, he won't let them up. He just lays on them and holds them until he gets all the sugar that he wants. 
but they have learned to run across the wire. And it's a race from the porch to the wire. And this dog is full speed. And five feet from the wire, it's like, and then he like paces back and forth. And they're on the other side going, and he's like pacing, like come back across the wire. Just come back across the wire. But you know, I have watched him when he gets so excited and so caught up and so wants to play with those kids that he bites the bullet and jumps through the wire. Just invisible. But you can see him. He'll be running through it. He's like, <laughs> but he, and then he gets on the other side. He's like, ha, ha, it was worth it. You know, I'm on the other side. <laughs> we think of the grace of God in salvation only. But grace is given to train. People ask me every week, if not two or three times a week, Brother Danny, why me? Brother Danny, why did this happen? Sometimes it's a shot caller. Sometimes it's God that says, Grace, you know, get their attention. Let them know who's in charge. Let them know who the master is. Not always, but grace trains us. Look at what it trains us for. To renounce ungodliness, to renounce worldly passions. Here's one that we hear very little of. To live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. I'm a basketball guy. I love basketball. I do. It's my, it's my sport. I can't holler at the officials because I'm y'all's associate pastor. If I even stand up, I get 17 things on Facebook. I saw you almost holler at the official. The only good thing about the mask. They can't see your lips move. They don't know if you're hollering or not. No, I'm just kidding. Grace trains us to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. Don't you, don't you love that phrase, present age? Because you see, this was written 2,000 years ago. To this young preacher, Paul said, in the day you live, this is what grace is for. We come forward 2,000 years, and I can stand in front of you, the Rock Hill Baptist Church, and I can say to you, grace wants you to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present world. Grace gives us sufficiency. When things are not going our way, when the world is hard, when family members are sick, when death comes at our door, when finances go away, when loved ones go away, when the darkness of this world seems like it's too great for us to bear, 
God said, hey, Paul, my grace is sufficient. The grace that saved you, the grace that guarantees you eternity, that grace is sufficient for you when you walk in the darkness of this world. David, in the, in the book of Psalm, chapter 23, you don't read that there, but that's what it's saying. David said, when I walk through the valley, through the darkness, through the hurt, through the pain of death, God's grace is there with me. I love 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace, every kind of grace, abound so that you have sufficiency in all things. At all times, you may abound in every good work. The writer of Hebrews said in verse four, chapter 4 and verse 16, we get grace to help in time of need. When difficult times come, don't turn to self-pity. Don't turn to Facebook. Don't turn to this or that or the other. Turn to grace because the grace of God is there to spot you in life, to make sure the burdens are not too heavy. And Peter said in 1 Peter 5, and when you suffered for a little while, the God of all grace will himself, not an angel, not a messenger, not somebody else. The God of all grace will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. <laughs> I really like that word establish. Every parent that's worth your salt has picked a screaming kid up out of the floor and whispered in their ear and stood them up and said, don't move. And the kids are like, okay, that sounded serious. That God can restore, that God can confirm our faith, that God can confirm his grace, that God can confirm his presence in our life, that God can strengthen us. But most important of all, sometimes the Apostle Paul said, when you've done everything you can do and, and you've thrown everything you've got into the fight, if you can't do anything else, just stand. And that's what this is. God just stands you up there and says, here, I got you. Stand here. I will establish you at this point. God's grace is abundant and shown to us through his son Jesus. That's why Paul called it the gospel of the grace of God. The word of his grace in Acts chapter 14. We need God's grace in our life, folks. Not just verbiage, not just words. We need God's grace to help us walk, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to light the path, to keep us humble. We need God's grace in our time of need. I've walked with so many families in this church through death, through heartache, through loss, through every kind of thing. I mean, I look across, I could, I could write volumes. Had a phone call early this week. Said, I just want to end it. I just want to end it. And I'm like, don't do that. 
they're like, what? I said, don't do that. They're like, well, what do I do? I said, trust God. His grace will see you through in our times of need and weakness. If you're here today and you're lost without Christ, you've never experienced the grace of God in your life, you need God's grace. You need an interaction. You say, I know about God's grace. I know that Jesus died for me. I know that he's my Savior. I know that he's my Lord. I build things. I'm building a, a, a greenhouse. I think it's a greenhouse. I think it's a doghouse for me, but my wife says greenhouse. Uh, and uh, uh, Friday afternoon, I was out there working. I had the day off. I'm out there working, getting things done. Worked about four or five hours. I look around, and I thought, oh. And I had made a catastrophic mistake. Sometimes you just need to back away. And I did. I just put all the tools up. I walked in the house. Rita said, is it raining? I said, no, it's a beautiful day. She said, is it dark? I said, nope, sun shining. She said, why are you in the house? I said, because i got to tear down everything I just did. And if you don't know me, you know, I don't mind restoring things. I don't mind redoing things unless I just got through doing them. And I had to tear a whole 15-foot wall out of the front of this greenhouse because I did it wrong. And my wife, she gives me a hard time. She said, I told you, you should have drawn diagrams. You should have had a plan. I'm like, I thought I told you not to talk to me. <laughs> you know, no, I, <clears throat> I think I said that inside. I don't think it ever came out. I'm still alive, so I'm good. Uh, <clears throat> I have the diagrams. I have the plans. <laughs> Getting them out <laughs> is the problem sometimes. You can have the diagram and the plans of God's grace and God's great mercy and God's great love. You can have everything you need up here, but until you experience it here, it will do you no good. I lived in a preacher's house for 16 years. My dad started preaching when I was two years old. I was 18 years old when I finally understood that I needed the grace of God in my life. You say, why not? I was a preacher's kid, and I wasn't one of them bad preacher's kids. I was a good preacher's kid. I didn't drink, chew, dance, go with the girls. I mean, I, I was the good preacher's kid. What I need was God's salvation. But at 18 years old, as I was about to step out of my dad's home into the world, the last week or two of my senior year, at a revival meeting in Emmanuel Baptist Church in Colorado Springs, God spoke to me, and I realized that I needed to get his grace and the knowledge of his love and his son out of my head and into my heart. If you're here this morning and you have not experienced that, I don't care how long you've been in the church, don't care how long, how many, I don't care if you grew up in a Christian home, I don't care who you are. Knowledge of God's grace is different from experiencing God's grace. Would you stand with me today as we get ready for invitation? Let me pray for you. And as Ed and the team come, would you respond to God's call of grace in your life for salvation? Would you respond to God's call of grace in your life to walk in His grace, in His strength, and His encouragement?
Father in heaven, bless these people today. May what's done and said here today do nothing but strengthen your work in our life and in this community. May we, Lord, live grace, not just talk grace. May we live faith, not just talk faith. May we live Christianity and God's walk and God's love in this world, not just talk about it. May those that don't know you as their Savior and Lord, may they come today and know you in the free pardon of sin. That is our prayer in Jesus' name.